been a wild week, hasn't it? A wild, crazy, crazy week. It was impossible to escape the tribal hyperventilating emanating from Washington, D.C., amplified a thousandfold on, well, across all media and news platforms. It has been addicting and exhausting. Of course, underneath the Kavanaugh hearings, life continued as usual. Night followed day, and we went about our business. The subway had shutdowns, the streets were clogged, the Yanks squared off with the Red Sox, and lots of other stuff happened that didn't quite catch our attention because of the noise, the cacophonous noise. We likely missed a few things that went down besides the Senate vote. For instance, I don't know if you caught the story earlier in the week concerning how 1,600 children from across the country were transferred to a tent city in West Texas. They were loaded onto buses and moved in the middle of the night with minimal warning to offset the likelihood that they would try to escape. We now have a record 13,000 migrant and immigrant children in detention in shelters across the United States. And these numbers are increasing rapidly due to the administration's zero-tolerance policy that separates children from parents at the border. The nighttime move is reportedly intended to make room for additional children. The older ones are being sent to the tent city in Texas. But unlike in the other locations, this does not provide the children with the same care. This camp is not licensed, nor is it monitored by state child welfare authorities. There is no access to formal schooling. And whereas in their previous shelters, the children had legal representatives assigned to their individual cases, they now face a very much more restricted legal environment. It occurred to me to lift up this particular bit of news because of that sweet passage assigned today from Mark concerning children. I say sweet because that's how it's been sentimentalized over the years. But the truth is, Jesus meant it as a serious rebuke given the status children had in first century culture. The familiar picture of Jesus taking a child in his arms and receiving him with love portrays an attitude of care and concern for children found almost nowhere else in the ancient world. Children, along with women and old men and slaves, were reviewed as physically weak burdens on society and had little value to the wider life of the community. In Greece and Rome, it was an accepted practice to abandon unwanted children along the roadsides to die. So the passage we heard was very much in keeping with all of the other radical things Jesus said, like whoever would be great among you must be the servant of all, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. 
That's what it means to enter into God's kingdom like a child. It is a radical posture that requires adopting a certain attitude about what matters most and then aligning the content of our commitments accordingly. So, for instance, followers after the way of Jesus would necessarily care deeply about public policy affecting children. They would care a lot. But that is not my main point today. It's more of an example of what it can mean to say, I belong to Christ, or I am a Christian. That's what captured the attention of the writer to Ephesians. You heard how he wrote, My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to Christ, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. And what this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ we are all connected to each other. Watch what God does and then do it like children. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. That's the way it works, I think, this Christian thing. It's not so much about what we say we believe, although that's not unimportant. But it is more about picking up and following along, watching what God does. And since mostly what God does is love us, we then follow that lead. Great faith is proved less by what we profess with our lips than the actual content of our lives, what we actually do. You hear me say this repeatedly. You have heard me say it for three decades here at Christ Church. It is an extremely difficult thing to finally grab onto and letting it sink way down deep inside of us. Let me say it again. Great faith is proved less by what we say with our lips than the actual content of our lives, what we actually do. How does that work out? Well, the 30-year-old man had come to talk with me about tensions in his life, tensions around life decisions. He felt very conflicted about his options. One thing he was very sure about was he was very clear about the material success he was after. He wanted to make lots of money. That he was clear about. But he was not certain about much of anything else. So I asked him, well, what he thought he was committed to, what path did he think he was on? Could he describe it? He warned me that he wasn't going to fall for some sappy religious angle, evidently missing the irony that I was a minister. So I told him about a plumber I knew, a guy in his late 40s, 
who over some years had built into his schedule late afternoons and some weekends of tutoring at a school for difficult kids. A number of these kids he mentored all the way to college and even helped pay for their tuition. He had built a solid small business, but he was certainly not a member of the famous 0.1%. And then I also told him about another guy I knew. He was a cocky financier about the same age, again, late 40s, who had built into his schedule several nights a week cruising bars, something he could manage whenever, wherever his work took him. And actually talking with him, I could not tell whether he was proud or appalled at the number of hookups he's had over the years. Probably a little bit of both, I'm imagining. He made a lot of money. He was part of the 0.1%. By his own admission, he had no real lasting relationships, however, and was now discovering that single malt scotch was the most likely candidate to be named as his best friend. His words to me. His words to me. Both guys had established certain commitments, I explained. Each had been captured by a vision of what life was about. Each had set out on a path and managed the daily routines their path required. Each had acquired the skills, partly through trial and error, that they needed to succeed, however that was defined, on the path they had chosen. Each had learned a thing or two. Each was on his way to somewhere. I told my young friend that in my experience, everyone has a religion, sappy or otherwise. Everyone functions from a grand operating principle, whether or not they knew it or admitted it. You can't function without it. Something organizes your time and energy, and you give your time and energy over to something, something big, bigger than you. Mostly this principle can be inferred by the wake people leave as they pass through their lives. The tangible material content of what we actually do tells the tale for all of us, notwithstanding our words. Both of these men were old enough to see what they had wrought with their lives thus far. Now, in here, we say we're following along the path Jesus blazed, as you heard it explained earlier. For me, one of the great, great attractions of this is his truth-telling, his ability to cut through the world's humbug and flim-flam, and his embodiment of the truth he tells, things like, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. Things like that. Or you must enter the kingdom of God like a child. It seems to me a life that is aligned with truth like that is a life that is congruent with itself and with all of creation. You know, I, I suppose, truthfully, I'm rather like the disciples, though much of the time, not entirely certain 
of the deepest meanings of the words I use in here. Still, the great hope is in the following. And in the following, I continue to learn to expect the near impossible. And I learn more and more how to take the hands of others who, however tentatively, have also chosen to walk the path. That's what we have done. And we're learning to love as God loves in the process. That is a very good thing.